Welcome to another episode of the Walk On Red Shirts podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aaron. And with me, my co-hosts, Jake and intern Gibble, who may not be an intern much longer as he starts to somewhat run away with our uh, spread pickums for the year, uh, unfortunately. But we still have, uh, I think, like 15, 14 or 15 games to pick, so we'll see how that ends up uh, going uh, as we progress here towards the end. Uh, as always, we also have our bowl pickums for free giveaway swag from our sponsors at Smack Apparel. Uh, Jake, any updates on that? Yeah, I've been updating. I've been tweeting out the standings. Um, I tweeted out the two people that are leading so far. Uh, the latest update, though, is Intern Gibble is in last place in the spread. Which yeah, is amazing. <laughs> For the person who's winning, he is doing atrociously bad. Uh, as of the last update, uh, he was eight and fourteen. Holy crap! <laughs> Yikes! It's okay. We're not doing much better. I'm nine and thirteen, and you're ten and twelve. Oh my gosh! This is hey, I'm doing. I'm I'm getting a little better. In fairness to me, I just. I got in at the last second, and I just picked, I just hit random buttons, so I don't exactly even know who I have in any of these games, so I'm just riding with it. No. Plus, I can't win the merch anyway, so what do I care? Exactly. MRF505 is 17-5. and five. He's got a solid two-game lead, um, but there's a lot of games left, so we'll see who ends up winning the merch. Still plenty of bowl games left. That is correct. Uh, how is everybody's Christmas? Um pretty swell nice and relaxing yeah up until the weekend for you i guess but we'll get into that a little bit later yeah. Uh, um <laughs> yeah i mean i got uh, a late christmas gift with uh, the firing of dan enos and we'll talk about that in a little bit when we get into news uh, i got some cornhole and- boards that i got to use when i watched temple you know get their ass handed to them which is good. I hope you left the game to go play more corn, uh, cornhole at that point because talk about a blowout. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough time. <laughs> Not a good game. No. Um, stat I saw uh, after the game was that I think Rod Carey is now 0-7 in bowl games. Yes, uh, he is. In his career. Not great. <laughs> Not ideal. Uh for especially for a school like Temple, whose you know big thing is to go to a bowl game and win it at the end of the season, so apparently we'll never win a bowl game. Yeah, uh, well, at least until he takes a power five job. So he's going to NC State. Remember, he's going to go to NC State. Is he? That's where I'm hoping for. He goes in two years. Hmm, maybe. Um. Uh, anyway, uh, we had a. Pretty big weekend. Uh, I think we are have to recap about 15 games in a little bit. Uh, we'll also get into talking about the semifinal games, which obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know the results and all that, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Anyway, for now, though, intern Gilbo, I'll send it over to you uh, for the news. All right. So uh, we'll kick this off with uh, the coaching news that we have. First one is Kirk Sharaka. I think I got that right, uh, was hired as the offensive coordinator at Penn State. He was the uh, offensive coordinator for Minnesota this past year, so we all saw what he did with that offense. Um, 
turning Minnesota into a pretty darn good team offensively. So that should be a good hire for Penn State. Hopefully that for them, they uh, can kind of improve. They have a lot of talent, so that should help them out a lot. Um, Texas hired the former Ohio State passing coordinator and quarterbacks coach Mike Yursich, uh as their offensive coordinator. Um, he spent six seasons before being at Ohio State uh, with Oklahoma State, where they averaged 38 points and 478 yards per game and were top 10 in the nation uh, four times in total offense. So that should be a pretty good hire for Texas. Um, maybe they'll be back, but mm-hmm, I don't know. Um, in the Pac-12, Herm Edwards hired 24-year-old Chris Hawkins uh, as their defensive backs coach for Arizona State. So that, I believe, is the youngest full-time assistant at a Power 5 school. Um, he spent just last season working with the secondary at USC, and now he is a assistant uh, coaching the defense backs for Arizona State. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, at Florida State, Alex Atkins was hired as the offensive coordinator there. He was at Charlotte this past year. Um, and Chris Thompson was also brought on as the tight ends coach for Florida State as well. And then I'm sure this one is Aaron's favorite. Danny Nose was fired at Miami as their offensive Hallelujah. coordinator. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Probably the worst offense I've seen in a while from Miami. So this should be pretty good for them. So we'll keep an eye on who they they bring in. Um, do any of those guys, aside from Danny Nose, stand out to you? I think it's going to be a matter of time to see how some of them, because you can see guys do well at some schools and they flop or they can flop at a school, but then they need the right situation. So I think some can look really good, but you know, time will tell with some of these. Yeah. The one, uh, I mean, obviously I think the Penn state one was a pretty good hire. Um, he, he's done pretty good, uh, with, uh, coaching under PJ Fleck, both, uh, both, I believe at Western Michigan and at Minnesota, um, and improving the passing games and stuff at both of those schools. Uh, so I think that's a good hire for Penn State. We'll see how it goes um, down the line. Um, and I also mentioned on Twitter, I was a big fan of the Mike Yersich hire. Uh, still not entirely sure on that last name. Um, I know like his time at Ohio State was kind of odd. Um, he was, what, the passing game coordinator you, guys, you said? Yeah, Correct. he was passing game coordinator and QB coach, so he wasn't even full OC. And that sounds yeah, like that's what he, he wanted. He was... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was Ohio State's version, essentially, of Joe Brady, but not as effective. And Brady's a wide receiver coach, not a quarterback. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was a pretty big fan of that hire. He was um, a very good offensive mind at, I believe, the D2 level at our more local school here, Shippensburg, um, before uh, Gundy plucked him out and brought him aboard for six years at Oklahoma State, where he was pretty successful there as well as the OC. Um, I would guess that he ended up leaving thinking he was going to, you know, going to a bigger school, uh, maybe have some more responsibility there. It didn't happen. Um, now he'll go to Texas with Tom Herman. Um 
And I think going back to the Big 12, he's already had success there. I think he can have uh, some more success um, with Sam Ellinger probably coming back, um, I'd assume, uh, next season. So we'll see. Keep an eye on that one, but that's one that I was definitely uh, a fan of. Um, Yeah, there were some rumors that him and Kevin Wilson didn't get along. And if you're two offensive, essentially offensive coordinators aren't getting along. Kevin Wilson's still on the Ohio State staff? Yeah. Man, I felt like that guy got fired like three years ago. No, no, he's he's pretty much the offensive coordinator. There was a rumor for him for the Colorado State job, but I think he's like very content with just like you know being on a good offense. Uh, the whole Indiana thing, you know, with him and potentially you know having issues with players, um, kind of still lingers over him. So I don't think we'll ever get a big time job. So it's kind of the decision of would you rather be at a mid tier school. Or would you rather be an offensive coordinator at a big school? So I mean, you also, not only that, but you get to be an offensive coordinator at a school under guys like Urban and Ryan Day where they're already offensive-minded uh, quite a bit. So I feel like there, like, he's just kind of collecting a paycheck and just doing what he has to do to get by. Um he doesn't have some huge burden on his shoulders to to carry an offense or anything like that. So yeah, it, it, not 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 necessarily he's coasting, but you know he's got a good gig where you know he's got a fallback where it's not all on him. Like he doesn't have to be the sole like super offensive mind. You know, there's other well, guys exactly. there. I mean, I had forgotten he was even on the staff there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the tight end coach by trade. I guess he, that's what they have him as, which is. An important position, but like the tight ends work with other people as well. So I think they use like the graduate assistants and the uh, you know quality control assistants more for tight ends than Kevin Wilson. All right. Um, well, so the in the next bit of news we have are kids that are declaring for the draft and some are returning. Um, some notable names are Jacob Eason leaving. Washington early to go to the NFL draft. Uh, C.D. Lamb is leaving Oklahoma. Uh, Michigan State defensive back Josiah Scott is going to the NFL as well. And J.K. Dobbins just declared a little bit before we recorded this podcast that he's going to the NFL draft as well. Um, All of those guys are looking to be pretty strong picks. Uh, I think Lamb is looking to be a first-rounder. Um, not sure where the other ones quite fall. Um, we also have a couple kids that are returning to college, uh, for their senior years or fifth year. Uh, Ian book is one of those returning for his fifth year at Notre Dame as the quarterback. Uh, and then at Florida state defensive tackle, Marvin Wilson, junior or Marvin Wilson, who's a junior and Tamorian Terry. They're both returning to Florida state. Uh, so that's pretty big for Marvin Wilson to be returning. Um, he was actually projected to be like the number three defensive tackle overall, at least on Mel Kuyper's draft board. So that's kind of an interesting one there. Uh, we'll see if he can kind of improve his stock or if that ends up kind of biting him. But he seemed to be excited to return uh, to play for Mike Norvell this coming season. Do any of those guys stand out to you and you think all those are smart decisions or questionable decisions for anybody? No. 
Uh, the Marvin Wilson one's interesting because I've seen everything from uh, uh, mid-first round grade on him. I know uh, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, I think, said that he has like a round three or four grade on him currently. So, I mean, there's a, a he's one of those prospects that I think it, it would all come down to that. And I would assume that he likely probably got... Um, notice from the NFL in terms of when they project kind of where they think you'll fall. He probably was in a spot where he felt safe going back to school, uh, whether that's like a second round pick or whatever. Uh, but in the draft class also with Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw in front of him um, coming back, if he can have a really solid senior year come out next year, he could probably end up being the first D-tackle uh, off the board. So um, he's one of those guys. We saw it with a couple of the Wake Forest players that were pretty high that ended up coming back as well, uh, where I think just positioning and deciding that, you know, maybe if you don't necessarily need need the money right now, uh, come back, graduate, and then go to the NFL draft next year, try and raise your stock uh, a little bit higher. Um, so... Not bad on that aspect. Uh, C.D. Lamb obviously going to come out. He's the one or two wide receiver on most people's boards. He'll be a top 15 pick somewhere in the draft this year. Uh, Dobbins, his stock is through the roof after his performance Saturday. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, he could end up being uh, the first running back off the board uh, in a very deep running back class. Probably anywhere from, I'd say, a late first rounder to a late second rounder. Um, so I'm not shocked to see him him come out, especially after putting up 2,000 yards this year. Um, and Eason was kind of a question mark, but not entirely shocked to see him come out either. He'll be, um, he could go anywhere from being the third to the sixth quarterback off the board uh, when all is said and done in April, uh, depending really on what, teams are looking for in terms of quarterback um i've heard it and i like the comparison i think he very much resembles jay cutler in that he's got a strong arm and he doesn't really give a damn where he throws the ball um so uh for a very vertical passing attack uh a team might end up taking a shot at him late first round second round somewhere like that so uh they all kind of make sense to me one thing I saw about Eason, I don't know how exactly how true it was, was that he didn't really enjoy the whole college experience. You know, he wasn't a fan of you know like being on campus. He might he was more looking forward to being like a professional. Uh, also, with the fact that you add in there of how many offensive coordinators he's had, that he wasn't looking forward to having another offensive coordinator next year. Well, he probably could have solved that, but maybe just staying at Georgia um, seems a little bit Fair. on him. <laughs> deciding yeah. to leave um the place You're not wrong. That. um also another one that announced this past weekend was dj dallas the miami hurricanes starting running back for this past season uh opted to go <laughs> pro um and he'll probably be a, a day three pick but uh, a pretty solid running back overall um so the only other thing about marvin wilson i wanted to touch on was uh, i think he can help his stock a lot because I saw the Matt Miller thing where he was a round three, round four prospect. And if he comes back and has a really good year next year, he could cement himself into that first round. Yeah. He was the only one that I kind of was unsure of. And then there's the whole Mel Kuyper being a, uh, I, I feel like his rankings are just 
he gets mad whenever they're wrong. So he, if if he is wrong, then that kind of hurts Marvin Wilson even more. So I think it's good for him overall to be coming back. Also, Mel yeah, Kiper let you know a pick is bad because it's you know they picked the twentieth best player on his big board at number eight because you know Mel Kiper knows all apparently. Oh, he's the worst on draft day. Yeah. <laughs> He he's one of the guys. I uh, there's a very limited amount of guys that I uh, read uh, and study through all their articles and stuff like that. He is for sure not one of them, um, especially because he was supposed to retire after the Jimmy Clausen incident, and he's still going. Uh, not a man of his word. Uh, so be really cool if he just retired. So yeah, uh, I mean I'm not entirely shocked uh but yeah i mean that's that's a good one i mean all the florida state guys after this season they all pretty much took a hit stock wise um even some of their late round guys even fell a little bit farther down the board um so probably good to go back under the new staff hopefully revamp yourself um and see what you can end up doing uh going into next year's draft plus you you get your graduation you know you, you get your diploma walk the stage all that so that's what they even go to college for right not for football Jeez, yeah god <laughs> we ain't, why we ain't did they come, ever go make money we ain't come to play school <laughs> uh legendary xfl future quarterback Cardell jones <laughs> <laughs> great guy all right uh, uh so our last bit of news here uh, a little bit sadder news uh incoming georgia tech freshman wide receiver bryce uh, gowdy passed away earlier today um we won't really go into too many details on that one but uh obviously that's that's a tough hit for everybody that he knows all of his friends and family so i obviously our thoughts are with all of them um and the georgia tech players that he was going to come and be a part of so that's about all we've got for news today all right why don't we uh, streamline right into the recap here for the week and we'll finish it up with uh, uh the games that are actually playing right now uh, as we're recording we're coming to the conclusion of the franklin american mortgage music city bowl which is three words too long uh, and also the Redbox Bowl, which Jake apparently didn't realize Redbox was still a thing. Uh, Did not realize Redbox was still a thing. They tweeted uh, back at us. I saw that. We are Redbox famous. Um, anyway, we'll start out uh, with the Hawaii Bowl. Hawaii 38, BYU 34. Uh, Cole McDonald, threw, uh, for the Hawaii quarterback, threw for 493 yards in this game and four touchdowns. All, most of that came in the first half. The second half was uh, completely shut down uh, defense from uh, both sides. Uh, very shocking. Uh, but the uh, Cole McDonald ended up throwing the game-winning touchdown pass with 1 minute and 17 seconds left. Uh, one of the more thrilling bowl games we've had so far uh, this bowl season. Uh, moving on to Thursday, uh, Louisiana Tech 14, Miami 0. I went on this podcast last week, and I picked Miami, but I did say that I thought they were going to lose. I left work early to see Miami put up zero points, and that doesn't make me happy. Um, But as we mentioned earlier, Danny Enos officially fired. It was actually uh, announced somewhat before the game. 
an article came out that said they were likely parting ways after the bowl game anyway, uh, which did not reassure me that Miami was going to score points uh, um, because Coach probably isn't going to be putting in his best effort there uh, if he's not going to be there after the game. Uh, But he's officially fired. We'll see where Miami goes. Um, One note on Miami, they are apparently hiring a chief of staff, which will... I think right now they're going after Brown's VP of player personnel, Alonzo Highsmith, a very highly regarded guy in the NFL circles, Um, and obviously a former Hurricane. Uh, The position, I guess, is going to be essentially with the AD, uh, but he will oversee just the uh, football program. Uh, So we'll... See what ends up happening with that um, as more information comes to light. But if that would happen, I would be very excited about that. Um, And we'll see where Miami goes in terms of an offensive coordinator. They finished dead last in FBS this year on third down conversions. They used three quarterbacks in this game. None of them went over 100 yards. Um, A lot of things need to change for the Hurricanes. Defense still looks good. Uh, No no real complaints there. Uh, Defense was very young this year, unfortunately, though. Uh, and also, Miami has now lost nine of the last ten bowl games, so that's fantastic. Um, and kind of that kind of shows the coaching uh, errors that have been there for the last uh, decade or so. Um, having a month to prepare for a game and not being um, really up for it. So, um, Pittsburgh thirty-four, Michigan or Eastern Michigan thirty. Uh, another late uh, late game victory. The most notable thing out of this one is Eastern Michigan quarterback Mike Glass got ejected with 10 seconds left in this game for punching a referee in the face. Um, Inadvertently, uh, he was, I think, swinging for the Pittsburgh player and the ref just happened to be there. But uh, you can't do that and not looking good for him. Um, Also, Eastern Michigan's coaches came out with uh, worker shirts on. um, And as always... If you haven't paid attention to Eastern Michigan football, which why would you have? Uh, they always run out and knock down uh, a cinder block wall um, before the game with a sledgehammer, which is just excellent. The, this is why college football is the best. The best was uh, that time North- that they weren't able to knock the wall down. Well, it's Eastern Michigan. They're only going to get it 9 out of 10 times. Uh, let's be fair. Um, North Carolina 55, Temple 13. Uh, you guys were at this game, and it did not go well for you, Jake. Uh, but it did go very well for Sam Howell. Uh, he went for 349 total yards in this game, uh, four touchdowns, including one of them for a touchdown catch. Um, so big game for Sam Howell. He'll definitely be um, a dark horse Heisman contender next year. Uh, fully expect that. So. Uh, when next season starts rolling around. Um, and Mac Brown finishes off his first season back in North Carolina at 7-6. and six. So, good win for them. Temple becomes the first uh, FBS team in bowl history to give up 55 or more points in back-to-back bowl games. Not great. We're setting records. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Michigan State 27, Wake Forest 21. Brian Lewerke goes for 320 yards in his final game. Uh, also becomes the Michigan State all-time, or I think all-time leading passer it was. Um, and one touchdown pass in that game. 
mentioned before when we were doing the picks, Wake Forest, their defense just wasn't that great. Uh, something about these really average Big Ten quarterbacks showing up in bowl season. We'll get to uh, another one here in a little bit. Uh, but Michigan State comes away with the win. Wake Forest could not do anything in the second half of that game. Um, just continuously stalled out. Uh Texas A&M 24, Oklahoma State 21. Kellen Mond, one of my favorite um, box scores so far of the bowl season. Uh, the quarterback for Texas A&M, he threw for 95 yards in this game, but rushed for 117, uh, two total touchdowns on the day. Chuba Hubbard goes for 158 on the ground and finishes with uh, 2,094 yards for the season on the ground um, and the leading rusher for this season. Uh, so a great, great year for Chuba Hubbard, capped off. I don't think he's made a decision on whether he's going pro or not as of yet. Uh, Mike Gundy th- says that he's leaning towards coming back, so we'll see um, what ends up happening there for Chuba Hubbard. Um, Iowa 49, USC 24. Nate Stanley looked pretty good in this game, uh, but the real star was Amir Smith-Marset, the wide receiver for Iowa. He had a rushing, receiving, and returning touchdown, kick return touchdown, uh, all in the second quarter of this game. Um, Keaton Slovis looked really good. I am a fan. I think USC's offense is going to look real good next season. Unfortunately, the entire tide of this game turned when uh, A.J. Epinesa, Hit him on the elbow as he was throwing, knocked him essentially out of the game. Um, and uh, Matt Fink, I think, is his name. Yep. The backup quarterback for USC came in. They couldn't get anything going. The defense continuously gave up big chunk plays to Iowa. Um, and Iowa ended up running away with this game. A lot of people I know talking after the game, you know, Clay Helton this, Clay Helton that. I mean, if you watch the game, USC was in it. They had full momentum, and then as soon as Epinesa essentially broke Slovis's elbow uh, by just swatting it, um, the whole game turned. It was 28-24, I believe, at that time. USC had just come out, scored a touchdown, got an onside kick, um, and were driving again to potentially take the lead over Iowa uh, when that ended up happening and uh, changed the whole outcome of that game. Uh, Air Force 31, Washington State 21. Caden Remsburg for Air Force goes for 178 on the ground and a touchdown. Uh, big win for Air Force, getting it over an FBS opponent here. Uh, Washington State continues to fizzle out um, this season, even after a Mike Leach uh, contract extension. Uh, moving on to Saturday, we have the Cotton Bowl, one of the more entertaining games of the bowl season thus far. Uh, Penn State 53, Memphis 39. Uh, Memphis hung around the whole game. Uh, they didn't really ever have the lead, uh, but every time Penn State gave a punch, Memphis would punch right back uh, up until the end. Over a 1,000 total, total yards in this game, and both teams did it almost entirely opposite. Memphis goes for 479 through the air. While Penn State did 396 on the ground. Um, So uh, this game was pretty fun all around. Uh, Big game for Micah Parsons as well. He um, cements himself as one of the best defensive players going into the 2021 or 2020 um, college football season. Uh, Notre Dame 33, Iowa State 9. Uh, I was very wrong on this game, uh, as everybody on Twitter decided to make me very aware of. 
Um, Chase Claypool was a monster in this game. Seven catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, anytime Ian Book looks for Claypool, I mean, he was open. Uh, and it was just easy money for him. Not a whole lot Iowa State could do. They couldn't get the running game going. And because of that, also Brock Purdy couldn't end up getting going. Um, and the offense just continued to kind of fizzle out. So, uh, rough day for Iowa State. Good win for Notre Dame, and I'll be the first to sit here and say uh, it's so strange that Notre Dame is one of those teams with USC and Texas where we always joke that, like, they'll crown them, the, you know, here's a team, you know, a famous famous team. Yeah. Anytime they do anything remotely good, everybody wants to crown them. I feel like that wasn't the case this year. Notre Dame was very much in the background of the entire college football season. Um but I think they played really well this year, and Ian Book coming back um, is going to be very good for Notre Dame going into next season. Uh, they'll probably lose both of their uh, edge rushers, unfortunately, uh, a couple other pieces. But uh, Notre Dame had a very successful year. Uh, two losses, uh, close game against Georgia. Uh, the Michigan game, not great, but also, I mean, that uh, maybe was a little bit more about about the weather and the fact that it was a tsunami for some reason uh, in Michigan at that time. So, good year for Notre Dame. They've been very impressive. I'll look forward to seeing them next season. They get Wisconsin and Clemson next year in, in two big games um, to keep an eye on. Uh, and before we get to the semifinals, we'll just go through these. Uh, it appears that Louisville is going to beat Mississippi State. And I believe Cal's about to beat Illinois. And I didn't actually see it. So do you one of you guys that actually saw the score want to let me know what happened in the uh, first responders bowl? Yeah, so I I only turned it on for the last two minutes. Uh, Western I always get them confused. Uh, Western Michigan was driving down. They had fourth and five or fourth and three at the Western Kentucky, like 30 yard line, apparently five yards within their kickers range, but going against the wind. So they went for it. They didn't get it. They did a rollout to the right. Um, there was like three Western Kentucky guys in the area and one Western Michigan guy and the ball got deflected away. Western Michigan got the ball. They completed a long pass on like um, almost like a screen pass that the running back just ended up going about five yards downfield, and then he got downfield. So three seconds left. They threw a Hail Mary, interceptor, incomplete. Um, They went to commercial break, and then when they came back, they found out that there was actually 12 guys on the field on defense. So it was a five-yard penalty, and it was going to be a 57-yard kick, so they didn't kick it. Now it's a 52, so then they kicked the ball, and they made it. Got to love it. Um, All right, yeah, so that uh, wraps up those. Why don't we talk a little bit about the semifinals. First up, uh, LSU-Oklahoma. Not a whole lot to say about this. Uh, Joe Burrow with... Quite possibly the greatest um, playoff performance I've seen in any sport. Uh, He goes 29 completions on 39 attempts, 493 yards through the air, and seven touchdowns. Uh, Wide receiver Justin Jefferson goes for 14 catches, 
227 yards and four touchdowns in this game. Oklahoma's defense had nothing. Um, at one point, they ended up losing Kenneth Murray for a period of the game. Um, even when their corners were on LSU's wide receivers, Burrow was dropping dimes on guys. Uh, there was just there was nothing Oklahoma could do. They couldn't garner any, any pressure. Burrow was able to essentially sit in the pocket for most of that game. Um, and, and just an all-around performance. Uh, and typically, you know, we t- there, it used to be with the BCS, you know, anytime the Heisman winner would get into a BCS title game or whatever, you know, they'd end up losing. But... I mean, Burrow came out, looked amazing. Oklahoma couldn't do anything. Jalen Hurts looked bad. LSU's defense came to play. They've looked a lot better in recent weeks. Um, I don't really have anything really else to say about this. Uh, do either of you guys? When you throw seven touchdowns in the first half of a playoff game, I think you're going to win. Maybe. Thanks, Brett McMurphy. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, Joe Burrow looked in- incredible. I mean, there was nothing else about it. The whole LSU team was just clicking on all cylinders. There was there was nobody in the college football that was stopping them that day. Just nobody. I don't think there's a team that would have even gotten close. I mean, Clemson and Ohio State, I think, are better than Oklahoma. But I don't know if they would have been able to, you know, really match up with LSU on Saturday. They had an incredible game plan. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to to say because Oklahoma's defense, as is, is already pretty porous. They weren't awful all season long. I, this was the first time all year that they allowed a passer over 300 yards, um, which was kind of shocking to me. But, yeah, I mean, it's one of those performances. It's, you know, every, everything is clicking. And, like I said, even when they had guys covered – Burrow was putting it right where only his guy could get it, and Oklahoma's defenders just had no answers for it the whole day. Um, it's rough. Oklahoma, you probably got to ban him a season from the playoffs. Um, <laughs> can't keep doing this. Um, and this one's just bad. Uh, it's an all-around performance. LSU, as a team, looks super impressive we'll see if that two weeks off if that has any effect on them um and it's gonna be a a pretty fun matchup in that championship uh gibble do you have anything to say on this game i mean lsu i think just proved why they were the number one team in the nation um they legitimately looked unstoppable i didn't see like anything that was going wrong from that team their defense was pretty outstanding against a really good Oklahoma offense. So I, it was just very impressive. I mean, like you said, seven touchdowns in the first half is absurd. But they only scored two more in the second half. So that's a little bit disappointing, I guess, if you want to knock LSU at all. Some they didn't saying, score 70. Mm. Some are saying they just can't put their opponents away. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> Well, a positive for Oklahoma, they were very consistent. One touchdown each quarter. Very consistent. True. <laughs> I I thought 
you know, I thought, like I said it before, I think Jalen Hurts is a pretty gritty quarterback. I thought maybe he'd be able to keep Oklahoma you know, within 14 points, maybe 21. Maybe they got that backdoor cover. We all picked Oklahoma minus four, or plus 14 last week. Um, shows what we know. but Yeah, LSU's uh, running a death machine over there. Yeah, um, but I mean, he looked he looked bad. Um, Oklahoma's entire team, for the most part, CD Lamb had some really good plays, but he also had some drops that um, could have turned into some plays. Um, but we'll see where Oklahoma goes next year. Uh, they'll finally have a non-transfer quarterback. Uh, they definitely have to tighten up on defense. I said it before; I like the the hire of Alex hiring of Alex Grinch. They have to get recruits in there on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you can recruit the top quarterback in every class from here until you're 100 years old, but um, if you're not fixing that defense, you've seen it time and time again. They played Georgia, obviously, to overtime, but um, we've seen it time and time again where Oklahoma just can't keep up with the teams that have good defenses and offenses. Um, and it's just going to continue to be a rough go for them uh, as long as that continues. Um and also, who knows if Lincoln Riley will even be there next year. We have Black Monday is here for the NFL. We still don't know what's going on with the uh, Cowboys. Um, so we'll see if Lincoln Riley sticks around. And, uh, at Oklahoma. Um, all right, let's talk about the other game, guys. How do we you, have to. Uh, we have to. I think our listeners would like us to talk about this game. Um, so, from what I hear on the internet, this game was rigged um, from the get-go. Uh, at the SEC and uh, ESPN apparently colluded together to make sure that the SEC team uh, won this game. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm reading um, online, even though Clemson is very clearly in the ACC. Uh, but it's also, an SEC bias right there. Uh, that's it. They, they colluded because they didn't want the biggest national brand in the championship game out of the four, which is Ohio State. Um, yeah, they casually don't want the team that brings the best ratings in the national championship. They don't want the ratings. They don't want the money. Jeez. Um, but other than that, uh, this game, li- I'd, I'd say it lived up to the hype. Uh, um, I mean, it was a pretty fun game. I We all watched it together. Um, and I even said when we were sitting there, like, I don't have a dog in the fight, but like, I was very nervous at at the end there, uh, because you just never know what's going to happen. You have two elite quarterbacks who are going to end up having long NFL careers here in a couple of years, um, playing against each other, two top notch defenses, um. Ohio State looked like they were going to run away with this game in the first first half or first quarter, and that scared the hell out of me. I'll tell you that much uh, as an ACC supporter. Um, but ultimately, uh, Ohio State had to settle for field goals. I think that that really killed them. Uh, allowed Clemson to get back in. Obviously, the Sean Wade targeting call, which one of the many hot button issues in this game. Um, on either side, uh, was a big tide turner in this one as well. Ohio State losing their number two cornerback. T. Higgins missed part of, the, I think, most of the first half, uh, which affected uh, Clemson's offense a good bit. Their offense could not get off the ground. Um, and then, I mean, sh- that targeting call happened. Sean Wade left the game, and 
I think Trevor Lawrence said it like uh, that hit like just just changed how he was playing I guess um, and they ended up getting right back in the game going into halftime uh, there was also the very questionable fumble call which even I admit that should have been a fumble on a touchdown for Ohio State uh, but alas as I mentioned before um, a call that will kind of stick all off season for both sides so um, ultimately, Trevor Lawrence, though, 34-yard game-winning touchdown to Travis Etienne with a uh, minute 49 remaining. Ohio Did State he make a football move when he caught it? Uh, which guy? Any of them. Any of them. Did Trevor Lawrence make a football move when he scored a touchdown? Uh, when he galloped away from Ohio State's defense? I don't know if that was a football move. Uh, it was a football Well, it was a football move. Uh, white lightning. I did not know Trevor Lawrence could outrun a defense like that. A defense um, with like four, three guys on it, nonetheless. You, you learn something new every day. Um, and just to show like the freak athletes in this game, one of the more impressive ones on that first Dobbins touchdown run, Clemson's linebacker slash safety Isaiah Simmons was like partially running him down at the end. Um, a linebacker that can run like a four three is just ludicrous uh, to think about, and that's what Clemson has playing on their defensive side. Um, just nasty guys all around. Um, not a, not, again another day where Chase Young was kind of left. Uh, not super impressive. Uh, it's been three games now. I think that he just granted part of that is, is being essentially taken out of the game plan by the other offenses. Um, teams have done a, a pretty good job of kind of keeping him to the outside, uh, not allowing him to get inside and kind of just pushing him around the quarterback, uh, which is what Clemson did a lot in this game, um, to, to kind of get, get past that. So, um, otherwise a very good game. Ohio state drives right back down the field, uh, and just a misconnect between, um, I forget which wide receiver it was for Ohio Chris State. Olave. Olave. Olave and Fields ends up, Fields just tossing the ball into the end zone, straight into a Clemson guy and nobody else around. Uh, an unfortunate end to the game for the Ohio, Ohio State fans. Um, and now we are going to have LSU and Clemson. Uh, you guys are obviously the Ohio State fans here on the podcast. What are your uh, takeaways on this game? Missed opportunities. You know, you can't go into the red zone four times and come away with zero touchdowns. If you want to look at the blame of why you didn't win the game, it's not the targeting call. It's not the, you know, fumble that should have been a touchdown, I guess you could say. It's going over for 4 in the red zone. You, you had the opportunity to essentially go up 24 nothing or 28 nothing, depending on what you want to look at, and you were up 16 nothing. You know, if you're up 24 nothing or 28 nothing, that's a completely different mindset the other team has. You know, if you're 16 nothing, I know you, my dad kept saying, you know, when we were watching, you know, it's only two scores, it's only two scores. Once you make that the three or four score game, it's a completely different mentality. There's a lot more urgency. You know, 16 nothing, you can still kind of play your game. Once you go up three or four scores, it completely changes. And, you know, it's, you're at a point where you think if they score one more time, this game's over. Yeah, I Ohio State had a lot of opportunities to win this game. Like Jake just mentioned, the missed opportunities in the red zone. But we can't forget about the fact that they were leading 23-21 with under three minutes to go. 
and pretty much just let Clemson walk down the field. They I went mean, ninety the, yards in four in four plays. Yeah, they it like at the on the last play. Obviously, you wanted to just let him get into the end zone because you weren't stopping them at that point. Um, even if they just needed they needed a field goal to win, so it was smarter for Ohio State to just let them score, and then you have two minutes, just under two minutes, to run down the field and try to score yourselves. Ohio State was doing that, and then you just have one play that was a miscommunication. Obviously, the fumble that should have been a touchdown that was an incomplete pass, that one just stings the most because that was a big momentum shifter again. Obviously, the targeting in the first half was huge for momentum. Losing Sean Wade for the rest of the game was a big hit to Ohio State's defense. But, yeah, it's just that that fumble touchdown that should have been that one's the one that stings the most in this whole game um ohio state had it but just didn't fall their way today i feel like if that game gets played again ohio state would have kind of beat the doors off i feel like like this is a i wouldn't say if it gets played times. again it, no i wouldn't even go that i far. think if these teams played 10 times each team would win five times yes yeah. that's what that's what uh, i saw yes there. yeah I because mean, you saw a, even even down sixteen nothing to a team like Ohio State, I, I mean that just shows the uh, you know team that Dabo has built to climb out of that hole and get back in. Regardless, sixteen points to that Ohio State team all year long felt like that's game over. Um, you know you're not coming back from that, and to climb back into that game. They scored um, 14 points in the matter of two minutes before the end of the half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. You just saw how potent that offense is. Now, their defense, I would say, didn't play well at all. They gave up 500 yards, and I, Ohio State is a very good offense. You have to give that the credit. But their defense um, didn't really show out. Isaiah Simmons had a pretty good game. You know, He had that really nice interception. But I don't think their defense played the best. They had portions where it looked like they were good, but J.K. Dobbins was gashing them at points. And it feels like at the beginning of the second half, it was, to me, it felt like more the play calling that Ryan Day was doing wasn't what Ohio State needed to be doing. Not that Clemson was necessarily stopping them at the beginning of the third quarter. But that's just how the vibe I got from it. And... I mean, so much of that also comes down to, I mean, Dobbins was just hobbled. Uh, he was in and out of that game, I think, like two or three different times uh, before he finally kind of settled back in. Um, and that kind of threw up. Because I even told I, I even mentioned when we were watching the game, like, I don't think this Master T guy's all that special. Uh, he apparently also had surgery last week. Oh, well, Jesus. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, in my opinion, the, the discrepancy in talent between Dobbins and Teague, Teague strikes me, watching him, he looks more like a, a, a just he's just going to run straight into guys. Uh, whereas Dobbins, when he hits that one cut, like, he's off and, he's off and going, and, and you're probably not going to catch him. Uh, so once Dobbins got hobbled, I think that threw a wrench into it. But I agree. I mean, the Clemson defense didn't look great, uh, especially early on. They didn't seem ready for it, uh, what Ohio State was bringing. Um, I think once Venable started just changing up and deciding to throw uh, 
random blitzes at fields. I think that's when uh, things started to turn a little bit more in Clemson's favor on that side as well. Because uh, there was points there where Ohio State's offense just could not get anything going. Um, and Venables was kind of throwing blitzes from all over the place, uh, trying to get uh, fields out of his comfort zone, um, get him kind of boxing in the backfield. Occasionally, Fields would bust one, but outside of that, I think that changed a lot going into it. Um, and then once Ohio State was able to get into a spot to go tempo again, uh, they started to gash him again. So uh, that'll definitely definitely be something to look out for in the title game um, uh, in two weeks' time. So uh. I think another thing that kind of hurt Ohio State in the red zone and kind of led to them not being able to score was the lack of Justin Fields uh, movement, him not being able to run as well as he normally can, not being at a hundred percent wearing that brace on his knee. I feel like that that's kind of a part that you can't necessarily plan for when you're in the red zone, which could have thrown off Clemson a little bit more, but Ohio state not having that ability is I think part of what stopped them from being able to convert at least one or two of those uh, field goals into touchdowns. Yeah, um, I think one of the, the one of the better plays of the game, uh, not obviously not for you guys, but but on that final drive earlier in the game, Ohio State tried two or three different times uh, to do like a fake quarterback draw with Fields to you know get the uh, defensive backs uh, to chase and then allow a guy free. Um, down the seam uh, a couple times and Clemson didn't bite any of those times on that play and then Clemson sort of came back and ran something similar on that uh, game winning drive I think to Amari Rogers or Justin Ross um, where they essentially faked a quarterback uh, draw with Lawrence uh, tossed it right over the defenders to a wide open guy and ended up uh, picking up a lot of yardage uh, on that which essentially set up the ETN touchdown there late um but i i will say when clemson scored with 149 left i was like well i was like oh i just it's just gonna march right down this field uh and win the game so um we'll see like i said i think if these teams played 10 different times on that same field five and five each way um depending on the outcome but uh two very good teams clemson you just kind of see that that team that They've been there. They've done that um, to fight back out of that 16 nothing hole uh, early on after a missed field goal that um, to come back in, get into the game, uh, and end up coming away with the victory. So, I think one thing we can take away from this is that Ryan Day is a legitimate, really good head coach. Like I don't yeah. think it's just the you know the product of the Urban Meyer you know players that you know he knew what he was doing and he called a really good game overall, but the execution you know just wasn't there at times. I will question one call, and that was punting uh, late in that game on that fourth and two. Um, yeah, I wasn't should, that you should have went for it. You like you said, Ohio State they had what almost five hundred yards in that game offensively. Punting that ball, like, I'm not giving Trevor Lawrence that ball, whether it's at the one-yard line or the 34-yard line. I'm going to take a chance to try and ice this game out uh, and continue driving and drive that clock, uh, especially when it's only two yards uh, and you have a 
I know Fields wasn't 100%, but still a mobile quarterback enough that two yards, I I would have went for that. I I wholeheartedly disagree with punting that ball. That's the only one I can say where it's like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have done that. But other than that, you know, if you're going to talk about your play calling, you know, 99% of them were positive. Or you liked the call, but other than that, the other 2% were, or the other 1%. You know, you can look at hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, I feel like that was the only kind of lack of experience moment that you saw in this game, aside from Fields and Olave on that last interception of the game. Other than that, like, Ohio State looked like they belonged there, and except for those two plays where it kind of looked like they, they maybe got caught up in the moment, overthought it a little bit, and... That's where Clemson was like, they were ready. They've been in this situation before, at least in the playoff. They know what's on the line. I feel like that that was the small, like you're splitting hairs with these two teams. So I think that was kind of the only time you saw the lack of experience. Splitting hairs, yet you said Ohio State would win an 8 out of 10. Yep, I did. Um, I mean, the other one you can kind of question, too, is when they got up 22-21, not going for the two points to make it a 24, trying to make it 24-21. Um, yeah, that one didn't make sense, but in the end, it didn't have the much end, of an impact. Yeah, obviously yeah. in the end, it doesn't, but if Clemson goes down and scores a field goal, we go to overtime and Clemson ends up winning um, or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it didn't have a total, but at you know, looking at that score at that point, I was kind of just like, uh, maybe just go for those two points and, and make it a three-point game. Um, instead of option, just get the field goal. But uh, we'll be back on this next week uh, when we talk. Uh, we'll preview it. We'll break it down. Uh, LSU and Clemson, we have the new Dabo uh, and the uh, Dabo that is now to most people feels like Saban. Um, and I say that as Coach O being the very lovable guy everybody's rooting for uh, versus Davo, who doesn't necessarily have that anymore now that he's won a couple national titles and Clemson's been very, very good. And uh, anybody that's not really rooting for Clemson is very anti his uh, spiel about... Um, <laughs> being an underdog all the time <laughs> so it is what it is um but again we'll preview that uh next week uh i think lsu right now is sitting in around five and five and a half point favorite in that game but uh lsu and clemson playing in new orleans uh for the national title uh, all right, Jake, uh, do you have an advertisement for us? Uh, yes, we do. And for everybody who has participated in our bowl pick uh, I really appreciate it. We'll be giving away two shirts via Smack Talk. If you missed out, that sucks. Better luck next year. But Smack Talk is the leading unlicensed pro in college sports apparel in the United States. For over 20 years, Smack has designed some of the most iconic and memorable rivalry gear in the sports world. From the anti-hurricanes, sucks to be you, and Nationals' priceless design, you're guaranteed to get a compliment at your next tailgate. Unlike licensed sports team apparel, Smack doesn't need approval from teams or organizations. They create the designs that illustrate how diehard fans are feeling. So if you're tired of wearing a basic logo or a generic jersey for your next team, check out smackapparel.com and use promo code WALKON, one word, WALKON, for 20% off your next order. 
All right, let's go ahead and get into our final slate of bowl games. I think we have 13 of them here to run through. First, uh, well, some of these you might already be played by the time some folks listen to this, but uh, Tuesday, 12 o'clock on ESPN, we have the final Belk Bowl uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, Virginia Tech versus Kentucky, and Virginia Tech is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Gibble, your first, Jake, then me. All right, well, um, I think I'm going to take Virginia Tech in this first one. Um, Kentucky only has one play that they ran against uh, Louisville, and that seemed to work for them. I think Virginia Tech's defense is better than Louisville's, so I think Virginia Tech's going to be able to stop that single play from Lyndon Bowden Jr., uh, just that rush up the middle that murdered Louisville. So we're going to take Virginia Tech to cover. I need to make a point, so we're going to make up reasons to pick against Gibble unless there's one I really like. So we're going to pick Kentucky plus two and a half. Lynn Bowden is really, really good as a wide receiver quarterback, and I think he's going to continue his success. Uh, I, too, need to make up games, so I'm just going to pick Ant- uh, the opposite of what Gibble picks for all of these. So I'll take Kentucky. All right, next up, Tuesday on 2 o'clock on CBS. Uh, if you are looking to get your uh, Gary Danielson fix, we have the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl uh, live from El Paso, Texas. It is Florida State taking on Arizona State, and Arizona State is a four-point favorite. Uh, I don't like this one anymore just because, you know, Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk are both out. Uh, but Florida State was pretty dang bad this year. Even with all the new coaching coming in, uh, it still doesn't make me feel good about it, but I'm just going to take Arizona State to cover because Jaden Daniels is still in at quarterback, and I think uh, Herm Edwards will have this team going pretty well for their bowl game. Yeah, this was one. I didn't really have any confidence in Florida State right now. I know it just feels – I don't like the, when you have coaches that are coming in. There's still a coaching staff there. I feel like it's just a little too much confusion going on. So I like Arizona State to cover and win this game. I like Herm Edwards' staff and his team that he's got going down there. I think they can use this to kind of catapult some momentum to next year. Um, son of a bitch. Give it, I'll take Florida State. Um, hey, they got Marvin Wilson coming back. Uh, <laughs> he'll play in this game. So, uh, yeah, uh, give me Florida State. <laughs> Uh, Tuesday, 3.45 on ESPN, we have the AutoZone Liberty Bowl uh, from Memphis, Tennessee. It is the number 23 Navy midshipman taking on the Kansas State Wildcats. Navy is a two-and-a-half point favorite. Um, I think I'm going to take Navy. Uh, triple option is always a tough one to plan for. They looked really good in that Army-Navy game. Uh Kansas State hasn't looked bad this year, but uh, we're just going to take Navy. Can't go against the Armed Forces. Didn't you? No, you did pick Air Force. Uh, I'm going to pick Kansas State because I need to pick different, like I said. So to get a fun fact about Kansas State, they have six conference titles. The first one came in 1909. So Kansas State. 
Uh, I'll take Kansas State in this one, and I will take them because they are a Power 5 team and Navy is not. Uh, and that worked out well when I took North Carolina last week over Temple, so I'll do it again. Um, sorry for again bringing that up. Yeah, can we stop talking about that? That was absolutely <laughs> brutal. They're running the Philly special up 35 <laughs> points in the fourth quarter. Like, we uh, get it. You know, the gif of team. stop it, he's dead. Like, that was actually our team. I Like, I said it to you guys, but, like, I was at work, and, like, I caught a little bit when I was on lunch break, but, like, I'd check, like, every 15 minutes to score just to see what's going on. Like, I had a couple bets on North Carolina uh, sprinkled throughout, and every time I looked down at the phone, there was another touchdown on the board for North Carolina. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, boy. If All it right. makes you feel any better, Temple did not give up the most points in a bowl game this year because Oklahoma did. So it's true. Little but bit Oklahoma hasn't given up fifty-five plus in multiple bowl games. Well, yet. Yeah, I guess you got to just bring them back down. So that's fair. <laughs> All right. So Tuesday, four thirty on CBS Sportsnet, we have the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl live from Tucson, Arizona. It is the greatest uniforms in college football. The Wyoming Cowboys taking on the Georgia State uh, Panthers. Uh, Wyoming is a seven-point favorite here. I am going to take Wyoming simply because I think geographically they're closer to Tucson, Arizona. And I really... The uniforms are great, I think. Are they wearing all whites for this game, maybe? Or maybe I missed that. It doesn't matter what they wear. They all look fucking fantastic. Well, we're taking well, I, I hope it snows in Arizona for this game. They look so much. They look even better in the snow. But yeah, we're, we're going to take Wyoming. Ludacris went to Georgia State. So we're going to pick Ludacris <laughs> and Georgia State. <laughs> Good wow. lord. Um, Ludacris might have went to Georgia <laughs> State. But Josh Allen went to Wyoming. So, give me the Cowboys. Josh Allen also went to Kentucky. Well, Josh Allen went to a lot of schools. Uh, and, okay, I took Kentucky as well. So, Draft Josh covering, Allen. All my, covering all my Josh Allen bases. Um, next up on Tuesday at 730, uh, right before you either go out to the bar to celebrate New Year's, you can catch... Uh, a team maybe claim that they're back. It's the Valero Alamo Bowl from San Antonio, Texas, and, and it's the number 11 Utah Utes taking on the Texas Longhorns. Uh, Utah is a seven-point favorite here. Yep, give me Utah, Texas, not back. Uh, bringing in Mike Yurcich to uh, Texas, that's not till next year. I don't think he's going to be involved in this game. So Texas still doesn't have a great offense. I mean, recently, I think. So we're going to take Utah to cover. I think they've got a point to prove. It was a bad loss to Oregon, so I think they're going to be back and up for this game. I tried doing some quick research to see if uh, Utah had any cool alumni. Nothing so far. Alex Smith. Eric Weddle. Former number one overall pick in the draft. There's a there's a lot of people. Urban, they have a whole... Uh, Urban whole Meyer once coached there. Holly Rowe also went there. The more you know, uh, Utah, because Texas isn't back. All right, great. I'm going to take Texas. You want to know the reasoning here? Because they are back. Uh, Fun fact about this game. 
it is played in the state of Texas. Uh, the University of Texas also plays in the state of Texas. Is that um, true? So I'm going to go geographically and take a page out of Gibble's book here, mm. uh, and I'll take Texas. Also, it's a tough one because it's two teams that traditionally under their head coaches get up for these bowl games. Obviously, Texas beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl last year. Utah has a history of getting up for big bowl games. Um, so that's a tough one on that end. I'll take Texas. They're the home team, a dog by seven points. Uh, I think they can cover that. Uh, next, uh, next, let's shift to New Year's Day. We have on Wednesday, 1 o'clock on ESPN, the Outback Bowl from Tampa, Florida. Number 18, Minnesota, taking on number 12, Auburn. Auburn, a seven-point favorite here. Oh, this one, this one's tough. I feel like this feels like a more even game than a one-touchdown game to Auburn. So that's why I think I'm going to take Minnesota. Uh, I, I feel like these teams are pretty evenly matched, even though Auburn might win it i think it's still going to be closer than seven uh maybe minnesota sneaks in and pulls out the upset um it's a pretty big bowl for them pretty big moment we'll see if they're up for it but i'm gonna take minnesota do you like apples gibble not really they uh make my throat feel all weird (laughs) <laughs> okay it's probably the answer you weren't looking for no it wasn't i also <laughs> didn't expect apples to make your throat feel weird i think i might be allergic so that's why <laughs> well the Honeycrisp apple was developed at the university of minnesota so we're taking minnesota neat <laughs> did you say you're taking minnesota yes all right i had to do some real quick research Auburn has a guy on their defensive line who's maybe my favorite prospect in the draft, Derek Brown. He is playing in this game, and that bodes very badly for Minnesota's team uh, offensively. Also, they lose their offensive coordinator. Um, So give me Auburn uh, to win. Also, Auburn, don't forget, they absolutely shit-kicked a Big Ten team last year in the bowl games. Um, Sorry, P.J. Fleck, but I'm doing it for the points. All right. Also, 1 o'clock on Wednesday, we have the Verbo Citrus Bowl from Orlando, Florida. It is the fourteen number 14 Michigan Wolverines taking on the number 13 Alabama Crimson Tide. Alabama is a seven-point favorite in this game. I hate it, but give me Bama. Uh, I don't think... I mean, do you really hate it more than the other side of that coin? Yeah. I. I well, no. No, I do not. <laughs> I like this option better than picking pick one. Michigan. Yeah, it's not a great game to pick. Um, but I think, talent-wise, Alabama is just loads better, even with the most awful quarterback for Bama in... Uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Um Mac Jones. Yep, that one, Mac Jones. Thank you. I don't like him, but I still think he's better than uh, Shea Patterson, and I think the wide receivers, I'm pretty sure they're all playing in this game. I can't remember if any of them decided to skip it. I haven't seen anybody say they're not playing. Yeah, so that alone, they're going to torch Michigan's defense. Uh, Even just just talent-wise, they're so much better, so give me Bama to cover. Yeah, I hate Michigan, so we're going to go with Bama. I know I'm not doing very good at trying to pick up games here, but I'm not as far back as you are. Yeah, yeah, I think I might just take second. You're like six games back. Yeah, I know. We haven't done well this week. 
We have not knocked um, on all this week. So we're going to take oh Alabama. Boy, uh, this is a tough one. <laughs> I uh, I regretfully am going to take Michigan here, but I'm fairly certain Bama's going to smoke them. I'm doing it for the points. Um, I'm already in last anyway. I have nothing to nothing to lose um wednesday five o'clock the rose bowl from pasadena california on espn number six oregon taking on number eight wisconsin wisconsin is a three-point favorite here uh see i don't like this one again this one these teams feel just so evenly matched i'm i want to take oregon just because they're closer to home but i think i'm gonna go big 10 bias and just take wisconsin I don't really have a better reason than that. I looked up Oregon notable alumni. I'm not doing very good at finding this, but we're going to take Oregon. Uh, I like how they played in the Pac-12 championship game. I think this is Justin Herbert's last game at Oregon. I think they're going to come out and win this game. Uh, the Oregon Duck is the best mascot in college football. They are located closer to the Rose Bowl. They have a better defense than Wisconsin statistically this season. Uh, I will roll with Oregon here. All right. Next up on Wednesday, 8:45, the Sugar Bowl on ESPN from New Orleans. We have number five Georgia taking on number seven Baylor. Georgia is a five-point favorite here. Yeah, give me Baylor. I like them to upset in this game. Um, even with Matt Rule maybe holding some meetings to potentially leave for the NFL, uh, I still like this Baylor team. This off- The offense of Baylor can actually do things. Uh, Georgia's offense has looked pretty inept against good competition recently. Uh, I say that because they put up 52 on Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech is also atrocious. Uh, they just can't seem to score. Um, even though I think Georgia's defense is a lot better than Baylor's, I still like Baylor to be able to put up some points and Georgia to not put up any. So I have, I have very little confidence in Georgia, so I'm going to take Baylor to cover. And I, I really do think they could pull out the uh, upset in this one. While this game is not being played in Waco, I just learned that in Waco for Baylor games, you can you can pull your boat up and sailgate which I think is now incredible, and now I want to go to Waco and sailgate a game, so we're picking yeah. Baylor. Well, that's the same place you can do that is where Pat McAfee jumped in um, on game huh. day. Uh, I didn't realize that that's where it was. Yeah, because they were on that one of the boats. Um, quick note before I pick this game, uh, the Orange Bowl is about to start, and they just had, for some reason... Virginia's logo in gold and black uh, uh, up in the corner. Uh, And I was very curious why Florida was playing Vanderbilt in the Orange Bowl. Um, Thought they'd kind of got that wrong. Anyway, um, Matt Rolls already got one foot out the door. He's going to be the Giants head coach in about three days. Um, and Georgia has statistically one of the best defenses in the country, I think, allowing something like 12 points a game. Uh, Georgia's going to win this game by two scores, or two touchdowns, so give me that Georgia five and a, five points. 
All right, Thursday, the Birmingham Bowl, 3 o'clock on ESPN from, you guessed it, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, It is the Boston College Golden Eagles taking on the number 21-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats since he is a seven-point favorite here. Apparently, all of our games are seven-point lines. Yeah, there's an absurd number of them. Uh, I don't like that they're exactly seven either. That's just so bothersome. Uh, That being said, I'm going to take Cincinnati in this game. Um... I just think they're they're better overall. They did just lose to Memphis twice, so maybe they're kind of feeling bad, but uh, they can bounce back. Uh, Boston College has been they're a 500 team, so they're kind of been up and down all year long. Let me just take Cincinnati to cover this one. Yeah, give me Cincinnati. Boston College fired their head coach. They just got Jeff Halfley. Uh, this. Cincinnati's much better put together right now. I just like what Cincinnati's doing, and Boston College is just kind of a mess entering the bowl season. Uh, I'll even go with you guys on this one. Uh, even though since he bores me, these are two teams that just bore me to death, but. Uh, since he plays good defense, Boston College's defense has been shit this year. Boston College fired their head coach, and also AJ Dillon's not playing in this game, so. Um, their one top player is not playing. So, yeah, I'll take Cincinnati to cover that. Uh, also, Thursday, 7 o'clock on ESPN, the Gator Bowl from Jacksonville, Florida. The Indiana Hoosiers taking on the Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee is a two-point favorite here. All right. I am going to take Indiana. We're going to pull oh. for them to become 9 <laughs> Indiana. I was, about yeah. to, I was about to fight you. Why? Because <laughs> if you took Tennessee. No, I aren't. Didn't, haven't we like declared that we're an Indiana podcast at this point? No, we're also a Kansas podcast. Not okay. officially. Well, we're like everybody. Apparently, podcast, I was so. told we're not allowed to claim things. Right? <laughs> no, the I think I think Jake just holds that to himself. He's the only one that's allowed to claim things, which is just the worst. <laughs> True. Anyway, we're taking Indiana to cover. Can I interest you in some nine Windiana? How much oh, are you already, excited about nine? That, so. Yeah, no, I'm talking about Aaron. Aaron, can I interest you in nine Windiana? Uh, you can't. Okay, <laughs> well, if you need some facts about Windiana, uh, currently nice. in the class of 2019 has 20,942 graduates. They represented 138 countries, and the average age range was 19 to 76. Um, they have 380 overseas study abroad programs, and they have nine medicine locations. They have 21,000 employees, and the faculty represent 120 countries. Nine Indiana all day long. Let's get it. Guess how many of those facts I cared about? <laughs> Probably at least zero. one. <laughs> Aaron got it. <laughs> he was zero. So, doing a quick search on famous alumni from Tennessee, I came across one name, Peyton Manning. Indiana doesn't have anybody like that. You uh, had to search that also, one? Uh, no, I didn't. I'm making fun of you for searching that one. <laughs> uh, glad that went right over your head. It um, did. But, but uh, in this fight between two basketball schools, I'll take Tennessee because at least they have a history of also being a football school at one point. Uh, give me the volunteers to get to eight wins on the season and a hell of a turnaround 
uh, for Tennessee after losing to Georgia State early on. Um, next up, everybody's favorite bowl game on Friday at 3.30. We have the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Uh, we'll hopefully see the famous Idaho Potato mascot. Uh, this game's on ESPN, as are most of them, and it is, you guessed it, from Boise, Idaho. Uh, Ohio Bobcats taking on the Nevada Wolfpack. Ohio is an eight-point favorite here. All right. I'm pretty sure I picked Nevada before, and it didn't go well, but I'm going to pick them again. Uh, the game's closer to their home, so... They will have more fans there because who is going to follow the Ohio Bobcats all the way to Idaho? Probably not a lot of people. So, in fairness, I don't think a lot of people are going to travel to this game regardless. <laughs> well, that's fair, but I think you'll get at least like eight more Nevada fans than you would the one Ohio fan. So, you know, that's what we're going with. We're going with Nevada to cover. I'm going to take Ohio because it's in Athens and Joe Burrow grew up in Athens and they just got a ton of money to their food pantry. So they're going to be super hype about their community and the community is going to rally around them and they're going to win this bowl game. Um, Ohio. Uh, I, yeah, I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> I got nothing. But I'll take Ohio and I'm going to take them because while Nevada has a very nice victory over Purdue, they also got absolutely shit kicked by Oregon at one point this season and lost by like 70 points. So it doesn't give me a lot of confidence in this Nevada team. Uh, and I don't know. Maction's better than Mountain West, I guess. Uh, so yeah, give me Ohio. All right, Saturday. Um, this is an odd time, especially the location, but 11.30 in the morning. On ESPN. That's Eastern time, folks. Because this game is being played in Fort Worth, Texas. Much different time. (laughs) In the morning. Uh, The Armed Forces Bowl. Southern Miss taking on Tulane. Tulane is a 7-point favorite here. Another one of those stinking 7-point games. Um, We're going to take Tulane, I think. Green Wave just crashes through Southern Mississippi. Let's go with that. Jerry Springer went to Tulane. Also, do you know Jerry Springer was a mayor of Cincinnati for a year? Another fun fact. I did. I forget where I heard that, but I did hear that. So we're going to take Tulane because Jerry Springer. Fantastic. Um, I'm taking Tulane because they're one of... eh, Never mind. I'm going to backtrack. I'm going to take Southern Miss here because Frank Gore's son committed there. Um, and he is a Miami legend. Also because every team I love sucks this bowl game season uh, and has lost. So maybe if I just do the opposite on at least one of them, it'll turn it around. Um, so I'll take Southern Miss to cover the seven points, I guess. Um, also, next up, we have the Lending Tree Bowl. Monday, 7.30 on ESPN from Mobile, Alabama. This is the last regular bowl game in the college football season. It is the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns taking taking on the Miami, Ohio Redhawks. Louisiana Lafayette is a 14-point favorite here. Uh, Yeah, that's a lot of points. But the last time there was a 14-point spread and I picked against it, that was the LSU game, and that went very poorly. 
So, for just that reason and none other, well, yeah, we're going to take Louisiana. I don't really have a whole lot going for this one. Just to be different, I'm going to pick Miami. No other reason. <laughs> no other reason at all. I, I honestly have no faith in this because I think Miami is an okay team, but they're one of those like bad MAC teams that just beat other bad MAC teams to get to the conference championship. I'm really not confident in them at all. Also, to keep it close. Famous alumni. Ben Roethlisberger. There we go. Um, I am going to take Louisiana Lafayette. Um, a quick search of some famous alumni from this place. Uh, the most notable is Jake DeLome, former NFL great quarterback. Uh, but also Daniel Sanjata, an actor who many people probably don't know, but he played Reggie Jackson in the Bronx's Burning uh, ESPN TV series. So I will take Louisiana Lafayette based on the guy who played Reggie Jackson in that one miniseries. Great rationale. Great rationale. Love, <laughs> Love it. it. Um, all right. So that ends our regular bowl season, and hopefully Gibble gets all of his picks wrong. Except the Wyoming one. I hope he doesn't get that one wrong. No, I hope he gets that one wrong. Uh, piss off. Um, <laughs> all right. Jake, any listener questions? Uh, we did. We had two. So the first one comes from at John Jake Gaming, and he goes, do you think the NCAA will look at the wording of the targeting rule? Aaron, do you want to take this first? Uh, I don't, because putting my faith in the NCAA to do anything uh, correctly is... Uh, not the way to go about it. So, do I think they will? No. Uh, should they? Probably. Yeah. Um, I think they should uh, certainly take a look at it um, and maybe change some things around uh, to make plays like that Sean Wade one. Like, by the rule, yes, it is. I don't think there was any ill intent. And I think that's the key to a targeting call should be that there was it was a malicious hit, like the one in the Oklahoma game. Uh, which was very clearly one. Um, so, do I think they will? No. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I don't think they actually will, even though they probably should. Going back to the Sean Wade hit, I mean, it. he, he did lead with his helmet. It was helmet to helmet, but you also saw him wrap up Lawrence and take him to the ground. So, it... It's. I think I agree. Again, it's all about the intent of it. Um, so I think they need to figure out how to kind of work that in. I get that. That kind of brings it into a gray area of it being kind of a a decision that you make at that time. It's not like a letter of the law kind of decision you can make. It's a, more of like a judgment call, um, which I don't necessarily trust any refs to make the right judgment call every time. So, should they look into it? Yes. Will they? Probably not. Yeah, I don't think they'll look into it, but if we're going to say what I would like to see, I would like to see similar to what basketball has for flagrant one and flagrant two. I think targeting should have a targeting one, targeting two, that by the letter of the law, Sean Waits' hit was targeting, 
but it wasn't nearly quite like what the LSU Oklahoma hit was where the guy went out of his way and just knocked out the running back. You know, there was no malicious intent there that if you want to call it a penalty because he did kind of lead with the crown of his helmet, that's fine. But I don't think that's a hit worthy of kicking somebody out of a game. You know, I would say a horse collar penalty like is technically potentially more dangerous than that specific hit. I think, a play like the Sean Wade one should just be just it should just be a personal foul uh, penalty essentially, uh, fifteen yards. That's it. Because um, I get it, the crown of the helmet was the first thing that that hit, but even before his hands were there to wrap up. Uh, but I don't think there was a, a, an intent to harm on that play. Uh, thus, I don't think he should be thrown out of that game because of that. Um, as opposed to the Oklahoma one where. There was clear intent on that play and and no justification for making a play like that. So in that case, that's 15 yards plus an ejection. So uh, I do think they need to look at it that way. I think another factor is too. I don't. If I'm remembering right, the refs on the field didn't even throw a flag for that play, meaning that they didn't see it or if they saw it, they didn't think it was targeting. That was called by the replay official in the booth for the the targeting on that particular play yeah the targeting came afterwards they didn't throw it immediately i forget they were reviewing something on that play or they stopped for some reason was there an injury there i think yeah you're right yeah lawrence was down yes he got because he got hit in the head yeah yeah Yeah, he (laughs) got he got popped with that play yeah so then they had time to look at it exactly exactly if well if he gets up early, they might not get to it as quicker, but most likely they would. Well, and even on that play, like, when it first happened, when we were first watching it, I called out, like, I thought there was a penalty on Chase Young. Um, the hands of the face? Well, it looked like he went, when he got his arms up there, it looked like his arms were, like, at the helmet, which is a, a penalty against the quarterback, or, uh, against the defender if you hit the uh, quarterback uh, in the helmet with essentially any part of your body. Um, and then on replay, it showed that his arms weren't, or they were close, but it wasn't a, a situation where a penalty, but Sean Wade um, did hit him. Because when he first went down, he was down for a bit. I was just like, oh man, I was like, I think, you know, Chase Young kind of clobbered him with one of his arms. And oh, when he went to wrap up, he got him around the neck, um, thinking that was it. But the Sean Wade one was actually helmet to helmet. And that's where that, that call came in. So, yeah. We had one other question. I had to get a little clarification on this one. Uh, this is from at Ryan underscore C-Strand. He says, is the ACC going to bounce back next year? I see the conference getting better, but wouldn't be surprised if it's just as bad as this year. In turn, I'll let you take this one first. Uh, they, I feel like there's really nowhere to go for them but up. Um, I think a lot of the coaching changes have come from that conference um i think we're looking at uh, probably a better florida state team next year probably a better miami team as long as they can get a competent offensive coordinator um so i'd i'd like to say that they will uh be better next year i don't see them it depends what you kind of classify a bounce back as um i think they had one of the highest number of bowl teams this season 
Tied with the SEC, one more than the Big Ten. Yeah. So, yes, they like in general they looked subpar when you're comparing them to their top team of Clemson. They just looked inept against them, but I, I don't. I mean, maybe they'll get a little bit better. Maybe their out of conference play will look a little stronger next year. I don't think there's. I don't see them getting worse, but I. I and maybe they can improve a little bit. Maybe you can have one more team that's at least challenging Clemson in a game rather than getting trucked like everybody except for UNC, who nearly forced overtime. So, yes, they'll bounce. No, no, they'll, they won't bounce back because there's not really a bounce back for them to do, I think is my answer. <laughs> yeah, for me, it really, it depends on on really what you mean by bounce back because yeah i mean there's clemson and then there's a big discrepancy between clemson and the next best team in the uh, acc there's still a lot of uh, you know winning records in the acc it's just no teams that are as talented uh and you don't look at them the same way you look at an sec or a big 10 who has multiple top 25 teams i get that um on paper for next year i think wake forest will be uh, as good or if not better they return two of their key players plus it looks like Jamie Newman I think will end up coming back as well even if he doesn't Sam Hartman the backup's still pretty good um, but Chaz Surratt's coming or not Chaz Surratt Sage Surratt's coming back uh, for Wake Forest that's uh, a big one for them um, as well as Carlos Basham on the def- defensive side so I think they'll be a little bit better don't, I still don't think they're going to be competing with Clemson when that game comes around. Uh, Florida State hired a good head coach. I think that that bodes well for them. I think that's. I think they'll be a little bit better than they were this year. Um, you know, and if again, if Miami, if one of the quarterbacks, whether it uh, be incoming uh, four-star recruit uh, Tyler Van Dyke or any of the guys on the roster currently, plus an offensive coordinator comes in uh, that's competent. There is still plenty of talent on that Miami offensive side of the ball. Um, they did have a tight end as a Mackey Award finalist um, and all that. So if if they can get that sorted out, the defense is still very good. Uh, it'll probably be good again next year if I had to guess. Um, they could take a step up. Um, I mean, just looking around the conference, there's a lot of teams that there was a lot of faith in to be good this year, and they just didn't. Even Virginia, uh, a lot of talk about them. I mean, they finish up nine and four, nine and three in the regular season, but there was talk that they might end up going to win ten games. Um, so who knows about them? Uh, Clemson does get Notre Dame next year, so can't really say that they don't play anybody. Um, so they at least have that on the schedule. Uh, but I do think the ACC. Uh, in a sense, there's a lot of teams that are primed. UNC, again, is another one. Sam Howe looks really good. Um, and I think they're taking a, a massive step in the right direction after winning, I think, like two games last year um, to get the seven wins uh, this season as well. Pitt, who knows with them. Uh, Virginia Tech, Bud Foster is leaving. Uh, what they ended up doing there at Virginia Tech Um but they ended up taking a step in the right direction. It looks like they have their quarterback. So do I think anybody in the ACC next year will be in a position to really challenge um, Clemson? Probably not. Uh, 
I mean, Clemson's a juggernaut right now. You can look around the league. I don't think, you know, any other conference like Ohio State next year, you could say the same thing about the Big Ten. I don't think even if with some of those good teams, I don't know if anybody's going to really challenge them, um, these juggernaut programs. But um, some team might end up giving them a run. But I think you'll see more ACC teams in the top 25 next year, I think, um, if some of these teams can actually pan out to, to projections. And we'll talk about that as we get closer to the next season. But um, I think the potential's there. Yeah, I tend to agree with you a little bit there, Aaron. Of, I don't know if anybody's going to be quite, you know, contend with Clemson. I think there'll be better teams. Um, I think North Carolina's a preseason top 25 team after what they did to Temple and you Sam Howell throwing for 38 touchdowns this past year. Wake Forest, I think, will be a perennial top 25 team. Virginia Tech, same thing. I think there's a bunch of teams that will be, you know, fringe top 25 teams or solidified themselves you know between 15 and 25 i don't know if there is another top 15 team in the acc next year but i think you have a handful of teams that will get to eight to ten wins next year you know when you count in bowl games and whatnot yeah no yeah i agree with that um any other ones those were the two questions we had so if anybody ever has questions Feel free to tweet them at us or send us a DM. All right, folks. Have a happy new year. We'll see you guys in 2020. Uh, We'll see you guys next decade. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. We'll discuss the previous uh, week of games that are actually starting right now with Virginia and Florida. um, Already 7-7 here uh, as we watch. through that, we'll discuss uh, the national championship game, playoff finals between LSU and Clemson a bit. Uh, the week after that, it will be pretty heavy on just uh, talking about the game, uh, breaking things down. Um, we'll also, that week, we'll after the season's officially over, we're going to go through our top five or top ten all-time teams, not programs. We did that already, but just individual teams. We want to wait until the season's over because LSU ends up winning this out. They could certainly find themselves on on some lists, um, probably. Um, So anyway, we'll see you guys next week, and have a happy new year.